The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Museum Life with Carol Bossert. Museums are important whether we work in them, for them, or simply love visiting them. Throughout history, people have collected things and put them on display to enjoy. But today's museums offer much more than rooms filled with stuff. They provide places to learn and share experiences with family and friends, as well as sanctuaries to unplug, rest, and refresh. On today's show, we'll discuss how museums can remain relevant and sustainable, reach out to new audiences, and remain attuned to cultural and technological trends. Now, here's your host, Carol Bossert. Good morning. Wow, what a, what a month it has been uh, as we run up to Thanksgiving. Uh, it's been a, quite a month for me. I have been on the road for most of the month doing my shows uh, remotely, which is always exciting. Uh, but more importantly, I have been attending uh, museum conferences. And I wanted to share with you... Uh, two conferences, uh, sort of my thoughts of both the Museum Computer Network and uh, Museum Next, because as I was sitting in Museum Next conference this past uh, week, I realized that there are so many themes and ideas and thoughts that are really crossing all sorts of disciplines and uh, groups of museum practitioners, and I, I uh, thought it would be uh, interesting to share some of those ideas and thoughts with you. Uh, remember, this is a call-in show. Uh, we don't have too many call-ins, but if you'd like to call in, today would be the day. Or send me a tweet at, at NewsWrite, and uh, we'll, I'll see if I can uh, do two things at once and uh, read and answer those while I'm talking. Before I get into some of my observations, uh, I wanted to, for those of you who are not as familiar with these couple of conferences, I wanted to give you just a sense of uh, what they're like. Uh, the Museum Computer Network is actually uh, going to be celebrating its 50th year uh, this in coming year. So uh, this was its running up year, its 49th year. Uh, it, the the uh, conference was held in New Orleans, not so shabby. Uh, you can get a recap of blogs and some of the programs uh, that, and some of, of other people's impressions about uh, what the conference was about and their takeaways uh, if you go to mcn.edu. You can also uh, go back through and look at uh, the Twitter feed, uh, which is uh, hashtag MCN2016. And for those of you who like to look at tweet mapping and follow the conversations that way, uh, you can look for uh, Andrea uh, Ledesma. 
L-E-D-E-S-M-A. And Andrea, I apologize that I'm mispronouncing your name. But she did a fabulous sort of mapping uh, over the four days of the conference to give you just a a better sense of of, uh, what was going on. Uh, Who comes to Museum Computer Network? I personally think that it is a terrible name. Uh, I'm not the only one that thinks that, but I also understand uh, branding is branding, and it's better to just call it MCN, uh, because while it is a tech-focused conference, and you will find a number of people who work in the digital side of the museum world, whether they are digitizers of collections, whether they are uh, social media producers or web producers. Uh, They are uh, people who are primarily in uh, mid-career or younger Uh, by virtue of the fact that many of these people got their jobs because they were the, quote, youngster in the museum and uh, they they knew the, you know, that digital thing. I'll get back uh, a little bit later to uh, how that divide continues uh, throughout uh, both this conference and uh, Museum Next. But the, uh, the point is that MCN really has a broad swath of folks, including people like me, who come because I want to know more about the digital side of things. I want to understand the vocabulary. I want to understand the issues. But more importantly, this is a conference that really looks at the larger questions of what uh, what museums bring to society, the role of museums in civic society. And this year's conference theme, I think, says it all in that the conference theme was the human-centered museum. Now, there are a couple of other really fabulous things about uh, MCN, and uh, the first uh is always the first evening there are a series of ignite talks coordinated by coven smith uh, and others but this has been a a real wonderful uh, part of the project sort of uh, uh, simulating ted talks and and more of of the kinds of tech talks uh, uh, 10 uh, 20 slides uh, that that advance automatically as a speaker presents um, a big idea, a big topic that hopefully uh, will catch fire and get sticky and be a sticky idea that people can talk about throughout the conference. And this year was uh, was no exception. The Ignite Talks are always posted to YouTube. So again, I would uh, recommend that you take a an opportunity to to listen to some of those and and connect with the speakers. The other parts of the program they have uh, you know, uh, the kinds of co- uh, conference things that you would expect. They have panel discussions. There's a keynote address. Uh, there are in-depth panels, and there are very short. You know, every 15, 20 minutes, people will share their case studies. But what's really fabulous about this conference and also Museum Next, I'll talk about in a little minute, is that uh, as part of your registration fee, they provide breakfast uh, and more than just a a day-old bagel. Uh, They provide uh, great snacks and also lunch. And often, uh, 
pretty good food at the evening receptions. But the fabulous thing about having lunch all at the same time, all together, is really that extra opportunity to get to know people in a way that you can't just sitting in a uh, conference uh, uh, lecture room. Of course, the best way to meet people at any conference is standing in the inevitably, invariably long lines at getting coffee. Uh, but I, that's one of the things that makes MCN very special for me and I know all of the other participants is just an opportunity to talk to people that you might not otherwise have, uh, have a chance uh, to do so. Uh, so the other conference is Museum Next. Now, Museum Next uh, is an international conference put on by uh, Jim Richards and his, uh, his, his staff. Jim has done a fabulous job of identifying uh, big thinkers about museums and the future of museums. Uh, it, um, it's only been in the United States twice. This is its second time. Uh, the first time was in Indianapolis a couple of years ago. And so this New York conference was a really great opportunity uh, to get together. It, uh, it uh, attracts a broad swath of our community from uh, museum directors, uh, educators, uh, some curators even. Uh, of course, a number of digital people, which I think suggests shows where the future of museums are going. I'll talk a little bit more about that, what, what, uh, the, what a digital future means to me. Again, it is a relatively small conference that offers uh, uh, most meals as part of the registration fee. And again, a great opportunity to network. Uh, it was great to meet so many new people. Of course, I got to see lots of old friends uh, and many Museum Life guests on the show. Uh, those of you who came up to me and introduced yourself as someone who want, uh, listens to the show regularly or even just once, uh, I appreciate that very, very much. It's nice to be able to put uh, real faces uh, to my listeners, many of whom I have gotten to know over uh Twitter. Now, as I said, there are a lot of, of uh, commonalities of these two conferences. Both are pretty small, you know, 600 to 700 people. Uh, of course, people are always doing very different things, but it's a manageable size conference. I think you really get to know uh, people. There, The sense of togetherness is, uh, is very, very nice. It gives it a, a really collegial sense now, one of the things that I really noticed uh, in both conferences, and um, I'm not qu- quite sure why, why uh, maybe I have some thoughts about why this is, is that they attracted uh, museum practitioners, primarily those who work in collecting uh, collection-based institutions with a uh, preponderance of art museums uh, and then some history museums and a few natural history museums uh, and the, the uh, designers and uh, other, other uh, fabricators and producers who also work in similar institutions. And, you know, it's interesting. Uh, so, so with that preponderance, there really is sort of a, an unspoken implication that um, access to collections, whether it's um, physical access or digital access, will really lead to better uh, social interactions. 
And in fact, I had an a very very interesting uh, Twitter conversation with a with a colleague about this issue of collections. Uh, one of the speakers had talked about uh, collections being the fuel that uh, leads to other museum activities, and I thought that was an interesting way to characterize collections. Uh, but my colleague was wondering if that is also a way of creating an excuse for museums to not uh, move forward, to not take risks, because, of course, they need to maintain fiduciary responsibility and stability for large collections. Uh, it's a, it's an interesting uh, proposition, and I would hope in the future that more non-collection-based museums uh, and associated cultural institutions would consider going to uh, Museum Next and, uh, and MCN because I think that that could add and add some richness to those uh, conversations. I will say, and this is my own little personal soapbox, uh, that and perhaps this attributes because there were, were so many art museums included and showcased in the conversations uh, and presentations, but there seemed to be uh, a, a strong push for, or push back from the, tr- quote, traditional museum label. And every time they someone would show me what a traditional museum label would be, it would be uh, a, a label from a venerable art museum that always starts with the convention of the work, uh, the artist's name, Top, and then uh, the name of the work, and then, of course, the all-important accession number for the work, and perhaps a very briefest of brief description. And there were several uh, presenters in both MCN and Museum Next who were suggesting that perhaps, just perhaps, uh, this was not the kind of label that should be written or is very useful for visitors, and perhaps something else needs to be uh, put Uh, put in its place. And I would just like to say that this is one one example of how we as a field sort of forget where we've been. Uh, Beverly Sorrell, of course, has written a fabulous book about museum uh, labels, also the work by Judy Rand uh, in talking about how to write a good label how to create a hierarchy, how to create a conversational voice as opposed to, as some uh, uh, speakers said, the voice of God voice. So I would just uh, hope that in the future we might be able to uh, remember some of where we've been and some of the lessons that we have learned over over time. Uh, I would also use this as an opportunity to plug the National Association of, of uh museum exhibition uh, as a wonderful journal that can not only sort of talk about what's going on in the future of museums, but also provide those references for the past. So uh, this brings us to our first break. I hope I've given you a little bit of background of what these two organizations are about. And when we come back, I'm going to share with you some of the general uh, themes that I noticed in uh, both of these conferences. So stay tuned. This is Carol Bossert for Museum Life. We'll be back in a minute. 
the Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Carol Bossert established CB Services LLC because she believes in the societal value of museums. Exhibitions are a primary way that museums deliver this value, providing places for exploration, renewal, and conversation. Good exhibitions begin with good content. And at CB Services, we are all about the content. CB Services helps organizations identify, shape, and document the ideas and stories that form the foundation of a successful exhibit. We provide tools that help our clients make good decisions throughout the exhibition development process and get the most out of collaborations with architects and exhibit designers. CB Services offers half-day and day-long workshops to get staff, boards, and communities ready for an exhibition project. Call today to schedule a workshop. CB Services also offers a one-hour free consultation to organizations no matter where they are in the exhibition development process. Visit carolbossertservices.com. Reach out to Carol through Twitter or LinkedIn or call her directly at 240-432-7712. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're tuned into Museum Life with Carol Bossert. To reach our program today, please call 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. Or send an email to carol.bossert at verizon.net. Now, back to Museum Life. Welcome back. This is Carol Bossert, and I am speaking today without a net uh, or a guest, and I am sharing with you some of my thoughts and observations from a uh, several weeks on the road going to various conferences, including the Museum Computer Network conference, uh, whose uh, you can look at find out more about at mcn.edu, and also Museum Next. Uh, I have had guests from both of these conferences on my show, and and you can look forward to more uh, guests that that I'll have on the show that I met at these these various conferences, and so I'm not going to go into in-depth discussions about all of the topics, but just some of the the thoughts and highlights. Uh, One of the sort of recurring or shared themes uh, that... uh, Perhaps not in overt uh, presentations, but certainly in the discussions that I had over breakfast, lunch, and coffee with with colleagues, that it seems as if we may be at the end of the era of technology for technology's sake, or as I like to call it, the end of big shiny thing thinking. Uh, now, 
I there and it may have been because there was a, a lack of a museum directors, certainly uh, not a preponderance of museum directors at either of these two conferences. Uh, perhaps it's because that uh, the participants in both of these conferences are pretty technologically uh, savvy. But uh, I in. I heard very little. In fact, I heard no conversation uh, where where anyone was purporting, you know, the next big thing in museums that will solve all of our problems is uh, involved in a piece of technology. In fact, uh, Nick Honeysutt, uh, who's been on the show before, did a marvelous presentation uh, leading a discussion on some of the findings of current um, new trends in uh, uh, in the world that will be affecting museums uh, is part of the 2016 Horizon Report on on uh, museums and. Uh, just as a preview, Nick's going to be on the show in a couple of weeks, and so I don't want to go into all of the discussions about the uh, her- this year's Horizon Report other than recommend to everyone uh, to Google Horizon Report 2016 Museum Edition and get yourself a copy because it's always really interesting. But instead of going through sort of a laundry list of all of the topics that uh, we could have been talking about, Nick chose to focus on one topic which could be uh, listed as one of those big shiny things and that's VR and AR, virtual reality and augmented reality. Uh, One of the great things about sitting in that conversation was I finally learned uh, the distinction and definition of both uh, and why they aren't the same. But more importantly, the conversation uh, did not uh, focus so much on, you know, let's run to use this uh, this uh, technology or let's run to use another technology. But people shared some of their experiences, both inside museums and out, of how these two technologies are being used in some innovative and creative ways uh, within the cultural community and the education community. And But the focus was never on, see, this is what will drive our attendance. This is what will reinforce our traditional business models. It was all about how can... Uh, what are things that, that audiences and individuals and communities need? And can these uh, technologies be supportive? The other thing that was so so valuable in this conversation and others was, I think, finally a better understanding of how partnerships, particularly museums, can partner with larger organizations, larger institutions that really have much more of the wherewithal to uh, deal with these technologies, work through these technologies, and use them in broad-based ways. Uh, And I found that particularly heartening as, you know, it was interesting. Uh, So, so that, uh, that was a potential of one big shiny thing thinking that I think did not actually uh, pan out the way I, way it has in other museum conferences that I've attended. The other sort of could be big shiny thing uh, thinking 
uh, was a, a very interesting and to me still sort of inscrutable uh, presentation on the use of Snapchat. And I found it really interesting. That's why I go to these conferences so that I can learn about things that are going on in the mainstream that I may have missed. And uh, the present the presenters were fabulous in sharing both the, the techniques as well as the application. Uh, I think that uh, these te- techniques will continue to be used. I... You know, there's always the fear that we are uh, chasing some of these technologies because we're trying to chase or keep up with future generations. I think the truth is that uh, things are continuing to change, and as people uh, grow uh, from being children to adolescents to young adults, they will continue to uh, find new ways of creating communities, and museums need to be looking outside of themselves and always looking at uh, where the people are. Uh, it reminded me very much of uh, going back to John Cotton Dana, 1901, museum maverick, library maverick that he was, uh, was always talking about museums need to be where people are. Now, in those days, he was talking about uh, putting them uh, in neighborhoods, just like you have a neighborhood library. I think in our new world, we need to be thinking about, uh, we need to be asking the same question, where are the people? Where are the conversations happening? One very interesting uh, statement was made in one of the presentations, though, is, well, you know, here are all these people that uh, make their life, uh, make their livelihood by digitizing collections or or, uh, relying on digitized collections. What happens, someone asked, when all the collections become digitized? Will there ever, you know, will we just uh, work our way way out of a job and I you know the the discussion the response was well you know there will be the next big thing there will be a new technology we'll go into uh, you know VR holograms floating something or another's and that may be true but it also then was reinforced when I went to uh, when I was at the museum next conference and someone when asked what the future of museums held because, of course, that's always the question that's always asked at a conference, uh, said, well, what about museums who have collected all that they're going to collect? That it's a, an area, they collected in an area of 18th century pottery or articles about the Revolutionary War. Uh, what if they've collected everything they need to collect? What would their business model, what would their sense of self be if they stopped collecting? And I don't have the answer for that question either, but I, I was thrilled that in these conferences, people are uh, daring to ask obvious, but heretofore you know, uh, uh, sort of assumed questions. People are beginning to uh, question their assumptions. Now, a couple of the other themes uh, that came up, one was uh, empathy. Now, I'm hoping that in our list of 
Some people call them squishy words, and I always like to call them wimpy words, you know, words that sort of lose their meaning after time. I hope we're not overusing empathy. Uh, I'm sort of afraid that maybe we are, and and I'm going to be watching myself uh, for that as well. But I think empathy is so important to what we do. Uh, We've talked in the past, and and, uh, people on this show have talked as well, that there has that empathy includes seeing things through another person's eyes, uh, walking in another person's shoes, uh, not just have finding uh, common ground, but really beginning to understand what things look like from their side. And this is helping museums begin to navigate uh, better relationships with their audiences. Uh, But what I found interesting at this conference, both of these conferences, is the concept of empathy was really being used to address the museum workplace itself and empathy within uh, how we do our business, Uh, empathy for each other. And this came out in a number of really interesting and very good ways, uh, following up on the Museums and Race Conference uh, that um, program that was held at the American Alliance of Museums this past spring. Uh, there was a, a mini conference, a workshop uh, related to museums and race. Uh, Nikhil Trevita, uh, who's been very involved in this this uh, aspect of, of our work, uh, did a wonderful presentation called uh, Visitors of Color Teach-In, uh, looking at um, museums from the eyes of the uh, traditionally marginalized and uh, helping us all sort of uh, create a better dialogue uh, amongst amongst ourselves, both and also within the museum. You know, too often I think that we we talk about empathy, but we forget that empathy really has to do with uh, creating good places for ourselves. And one of the most wonderful. Uh, programs I heard was talking about risk-taking. Now, certainly in the digital community, trying things, failing, learning from those mistakes, trying again is at the core of what it means to be doing uh, uh, digital uh, work, whether it's, you know, as my friend Coven Smith will say, if you're not doing something so that you can learn from it, you know, why do it at all? But that there are a, an awful lot of things that stand in the way of risk taking, and one of the greatest is working within an institution where you know if you do something and there's an oops, it didn't quite work out the way you intended. Uh, there can be shaming and uh, isolation, and then you're never going to take another risk. And so this this idea of not only Risk-taking involves being vulnerable. It also involves working in an environment where vulnerability will be uh, supported. Uh, And I think, and we'll talk later about it at the end of the show, that this is critically important. I mean, what we do as museums is very important, but it's not life and death. 
And uh, I think sometimes we sort of forget that. And the our sense of fear overcomes us. And we prevent our staffs and ourselves from doing the very best that we can uh, in in innovation and creativity uh, that we respect in others and sometimes we don't respect in ourselves. So with that, I'm going to take a second break. And when I come back, a couple of other uh, shared themes that I'd like to share with you and a couple of lessons learned. Uh, So stay tuned. I'll be back in a moment. Uh, Remember, you can contact me anytime at carol.bossard at verizon.net or uh, send me a tweet at at MuseWrite. I'll be back in a moment. Stay tuned. This is Carol Bossard for Museum Life. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Carol Bossert established CB Services, LLC, because she believes in the societal value of museums. Exhibitions are a primary way that museums deliver this value, providing places for exploration, renewal, and conversation. Good exhibitions begin with good content. And at CB Services, we are all about the content. CB Services helps organizations identify, shape, and document the ideas and stories that form the foundation of a successful exhibit. We provide tools that help our clients make good decisions throughout the exhibition development process and get the most out of collaborations with architects and exhibit designers. CB Services offers half-day and day-long workshops to get staff, boards, and communities ready for an exhibition project. Call today to schedule a workshop. CB Services also offers a one-hour free consultation to organizations no matter where they are in the exhibition development process. Visit carolbossertservices.com. Reach out to Carol through Twitter or LinkedIn or call her directly at 240-432-7712. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You're tuned into Museum Life with Carol Bossert. To reach our program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to carol.bossert at verizon.net. Now, back to Museum Life. Welcome back. This is Carol Bossert, and today I'm sharing with you some thoughts from conferences uh, that I've recently attended, the Museum Computer Network uh, Conference. Uh, um, And by the way, their conference will be uh, next fall in uh, Philadelphia, I believe. And but look that up, get it on your calendars. I believe that there will be a call for papers in the uh, coming uh, weeks or months. And it is a fabulous uh, conference to attend. The other one, Museum Next, uh, they are hosting a conference in Australia this February. Uh, I'm sure you could still get a, uh, an airplane ticket. And, uh, but in June, they will be hosting their 
uh, annual conference, their annual European conference in Rotterdam. I think uh, the other fabulous thing about Museum Next is that they live stream their programs. And so go to their website. Uh, I think you will be able to see the archive programs as well. I am not talking about uh, one of the best speakers I heard at Museum Next, and that was Tony Butler, because I had him on the show a few weeks ago. Uh, and and I'm sure those of you who heard that, his uh, presentation there, our conversation will agree that he's absolutely one of the, the uh, best museum leaders uh, and courageous museum leaders that we have. But I would all... but. I would recommend that you hear his, uh, listen to his uh, his talk of just from last week. It, it will be very inspiring. Now there are two other areas that really struck me when I was at both conferences, and one was the uh, the organizational structure of our museums and the uh, the way that provides or doesn't provide paths for career development for our emerging museum professionals. One of the most talked about uh, presentations, actually slides, uh, that uh, came out of the uh, MCN conference was a slide put up by Catherine Bracy, uh, who is a uh, the CEO of Tech equity and uh, certainly a leader in the area of use of technology in civic society. And she put up a, an essentially a, a decentralized uh, authority org chart. So instead of having, you know, the, the board and the director and then a whole bunch of reports under the director, it was a circle. It was truly distributed and with with shared authority. And, of course, well, I shouldn't say of course, but this resonated very, very well uh, with the audience who attends uh, the uh attends Museum Next, those people that I call digital thinkers. Now, again, Coven Smith and I had a little bit of a discussion, but it was on Twitter, so it's public, so I, I feel comfortable in, in sharing a little bit about that, of what, what I meant when I said, you know, what's a digital thinker? Isn't that just regular old thinking? And my response was no, that there are all sorts of different kinds of thinking. And perhaps because I am, uh, I'm an outsider looking into uh, some of the the approaches that are being used. I name digital thinking as being collaborative, distributed, uh, iterative, in, inclusive, and of course, agile, and, and these are also some of the principles that Coven has has used and, and discussed. But it's one thing for an individual to think a certain way. It's another very powerful thing when almost the entire community, uh, people who are working on a website, working on a, on a, uh, a, a, a digital-based project, uh, think 
In many ways, though, it harkens back to the way, the, to me, the best way to develop a museum exhibition uh, that was sort of codified by Janet Kamian and uh, Polly, she and Polly McKenna Cress wrote a fabulous book on museum exhibitions, and that was more of a of a collaborative uh, distributed authority uh, model. And, you know, the truth is that organizations are, uh, industries are moving uh, forward to a much more distributed uh, model, uh, place, uh, areas in Silicon Valley, uh, some of the work that Google is doing right now in looking at how networks uh, and groups uh, organize, uh, certainly the, the new thinking uh, or current thinking coming out of, of business schools. And, you know, museums, of course, are always ripe for taking on someone's el- someone else's paradigm. You know, remember once that we all thought uh, Disney, uh, we all needed to be edutainment organizations and that we should all be like Disney. And there's nothing wrong with Disney or the way they do business. They're very successful. But why do we want to take on someone else's paradigm? Why can't we create our own paradigm? Uh, And maybe that is too optimistic, but it does seem to me that uh, if museums begin to cast around for their next uh, their next paradigm that they probably are going to be latching on to this decentralized authority, this is distributed org chart. And who are the people best able to lead that uh, project and, and, and know how to work effectively within that kind of situation are the mid-career professionals who are thinking about the future of museums and and asking big, important, tough questions about our role as institutions in an ever-changing world, uh, but are currently maybe stuck in the basement digitizing collections or working on the website. And so, but I think that these, these people are the leaders of our future. And I unfortunately was very dismayed when I heard that there was uh, really, many of these people felt that there was not a, an easy career path for them, and they, you know, they, that they'd sort of hit their ceiling because they had jobs that had been created for specific roles, you know, be the webmaster, be the social media person, be... Uh, and, and that these labels were not allowing them to get the next job that might, you know, might really want someone to be a manager or a director or a VP. And so I think that as a museum community, we need to figure out uh, ways to address this issue. Uh, otherwise, I think we're going to lose some of the best seed corn, the most creative people uh, in our, most dedicated people in our field. Uh, so I leave that open uh, to 
not only museum studies programs, but foundations and organizations who address the needs of emerging museum professionals and mid-career professionals uh, so that they continue to do their best work and shine their best light within our field. And with that, I'm going to take my final break. And when I come back, I'm going to talk about the elephant that's in the room, which is MCN happened on November 1st through 4th, and Museum Next happened uh, November 14th and 15th and 16th. And oh, a different 10 days in November made in the conversation about uh Uh, the United States and politics and labels. So uh, stay tuned. I've got some more to say. This is Carol Bossert from Museum Life. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Carol Bossert established CB Services LLC because she believes in the societal value of museums. Exhibitions are a primary way that museums deliver this value, providing places for exploration, renewal, and conversation. Good exhibitions begin with good content, and at CB Services, we are all about the content. CB Services helps organizations identify, shape, and document the ideas and stories that form the foundation of a successful exhibit. We provide tools that help our clients make good decisions throughout the exhibition development process and get the most out of collaborations with architects and exhibit designers. CB Services offers half-day and day-long workshops to get staff, boards, and communities ready for an exhibition project. Call today to schedule a workshop. CB Services also offers a one-hour free consultation to organizations no matter where they are in the exhibition development process. Visit carolbossertservices.com. Reach out to Carol through Twitter or LinkedIn or call her directly at 240-432-7712. tuned into Museum Life with Carol Bossert. To reach our program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to carol.bossert at verizon.net. Now, back to Museum Life. Welcome back. So I've been sharing with you some of my thoughts and observations from attending the uh, Museum Computer Network Conference and also Museum Next. And right before break, I uh, stated the obvious that uh, museum during Museum Computer Network, uh, it was uh, eight days before the election. Um, discussions about the election pretty much had to do with won't we all be happy when it's over and trying to explain to our international visitors why we uh, have a le- election hysteria for over 18 months. Um, but of course, 
by November 14th, when uh, Museum Next was in New York, uh, we knew the outcome of the election. And so there were statements made, uh, there were jokes trying to be made, there were, there was also a responsiveness as we were, you know, as I was talking with people, again, aforementioned meal and coffee lines of real fear and concern. And uh, I admit that it's taken me a while to process all of this information, both as a citizen and as a museum professional, and I'm not here to make a statement one way or the other about what was good or bad, but I had some concerns about some of the initial responses from the museum community, particularly some of our larger museum organizations. And... So this is what I think. We are in turbulent times, and there is a high degree of uncertainty. I live here in Washington, D.C. Everything is uncertain because we are in a transition. We have new people who are coming on board. Uh, But what happens when we have to navigate turbulent times? And so whether we use the analogy of a plane hitting an air pocket or a ship navigating rough waters, the approach for dealing with turbulence is to steer through it. The pilot doesn't come on the loudspeaker with an alarmist message of, oh my God, we're not going to make it or we're going to crash. No, she very calmly announces the reality of the situation asks us to fasten our seatbelts, and then she pilots her craft. Driving through means understanding our organizations, both qualitatively and qualitatively, from business plans and funding streams to our missions and values. One of the best articles that I read the last few days was published yesterday in the nonprofit quarterly by Ruth uh, McEnbridge, who said 10 questions for nonprofit boards to ask and answer. If you read nothing else, read that uh, article. Now, here's also a new, not a newsflash. Standing up for social justice and equity is not easy. In fact, it's never been easy. Living a life on values and principles, engaging in dialogue, combating fear, Being empathetic, taking action, finding voice when it would be easier or safer to remain silent is hard, no matter your age, your experience, or your background. Now, personally, and I feel this strongly, I do not believe that museum professionals live in a bubble. And our museum community was not unique in voicing surprise at the outcome of this recent election. You know, given salaries in our field, most of them very, very low, I know of many in our field who have made decisions based on their values as opposed to their comfort. But they live in a real world. They struggle to make ends meet. Some still have inadequate insurance. Most Many emerging museum professionals are finding the work world and the paucity of museum jobs to be cold and hard. So don't tell me that individuals live in some sort of bubble and don't understand the economics of our times. But still, looking at the participants in uh, our conference, I agree that many of us 
are very, very privileged. We were privileged to be at a conference, either because we work for organizations that value the importance of continuing education, or we work, uh, we are able, those of us who work uh, for ourselves or business owners, have the ability to take time off to pay the registration fees and the hotel bills and the travel ourselves. And I was looking around at the conference and listening to the conversation of speakers and having conversations, and I realized that most of us in the room did share many values. We value learning. We value artistic and intellectual expression and discourse. We believe in a better world. And most of us are optimistic that together we can get there. We believe in beauty, and we believe in history, and we believe in sharing it with each other. And I don't believe that we should be made to feel ashamed of these values or our privilege. We need to acknowledge it. But shame paralyzes and it sidetracks us and it turns our conversations inward. If we need to do anything now, it's to double down on doing good. Asking the questions that we know leads towards good. So, Such questions as, who isn't at the decision-making table that should be? What barriers do we put up inadvertently or purposefully that prevents participation at that table? What institutional practices or assumptions should we and concerns are preventing us from working with our community? How can we shift our language so instead of working for our community, we're working with our community? We can be asking the question with our community of how we want to make where we live better and how we can make that happen. And more importantly, how do we respond to those answers? Monolithic labels deny our individuality. They prevent us from looking at the complexities and the wonderful inconsistencies that make us human. One of my favorite quotes from Song of Myself by Walt Whitman was, Do I contradict myself? Very well then, I contradict myself because I am large. I can contain multitudes. So asking these monolithic statements, asking uh, whether large, uh, large labels, of Democrat, Republican, conservative, liberal, aren't going to help us. Nor can we par- be paralyzed by thinking that we're not like them, because other doesn't help. Museums have an opportunity. In fact, it's perhaps our greatest opportunity to identify language that allows us all to be. Now, for the past 18 years, I've run a successful business. I've had very many labels that I've put on myself as a business owner, a consultant, a freelance curator, and now a radio talk show host. But I much prefer the label of practitioner. 
because throughout my career, I've been practicing to be better, to be better at my craft, to be a better person, to be a better listener. And it will take the rest of my career to, con- to get better than I am today. And so that's why I attend conferences like MCN and Museum Next. It's why I am searching out better conferences that take me beyond the museum walls. Now I want to take this opportunity to thank all of you for being my teachers, my friends, my colleagues, my conference uh, participants, and those standers in the coffee line. You're making me a better and richer person. So thank you. And next week, we're going to get back to what this show does best, providing a platform for dialogue with wonderful guests. Thank you for listening. This is Carol Bossert for Museum Life. Thank you for tuning in this week to Museum Life. Please join your host, Carol Bossert, again next Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. What museum issue is on your mind? Tell Carol at carol.bossert at verizon.net. Thanks again for listening.